Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. What's up, everyone? And welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Benny, aka Mr. Hexagon, the developer of the recent game known as Death Factor 2. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Josh. No problem. Thanks again for reaching out. Uh, honestly, this is a game I, I don't think I would have found otherwise. Um, and I'm glad to shine some light on it because it's a very different type of game. Um, but before we get into the actual game itself, we always uh, over here at IndiePod like to start out with talking about the people behind the games, right? So tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into the indie game space in the first place. Sure. So. Benny James, a.k.a. Mr. Hexagon. I'm in my studio right now. I uh, got an awesome game that just came out. It's Death Factor 2. Uh, <laughs> it's a powerful, emotional experience. It's also kind of a hardcore point-and-click take on casual games. Mm -hmm. um, before this, I was a janitor. <laughs> okay. And uh, just kind of saving up money. got myself a house. Uh, I got renters at my house kind of paying most of my bills and it kind of puts me in a position where, hey, I can start interacting with this giant conversation on the internet. And uh, yeah, I just got attracted to video games and computer games and I was like, hey, let's try it. Let's see what happens. Right. Would you say you you were always like even as a kid, like into video games? Was it something that that, you know, came later in life? Like what uh, what really brought you into the world of gaming? Let's say. Hmm. Um, I, I remember playing, uh, Zelda, like gold Zelda cartridges on NES. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been playing video games forever. I think everybody almost has at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, this I've always been a gamer, I guess. That's pretty true. Um, so, so tell me then, um, I think it's interesting going from, you know, the, that janitor side and then saving up to, to work your way towards this goal. Um, was that always kind of your, your end goal where, you know, you, you were just kind of justifying the, the, the ends of the means to get your way there? Was it something you fell into, right? Like what, what really pushed you to say, you know what, I'm going to make a game. I think I could do it. I want to do it. You know, I could be successful in this. Uh, well, I used to have really low self-esteem. I didn't really believe in myself for a lot of things, like afraid to put myself out there mm -hmm. and just through happenstance and through like the the rough winds of life i kind of discovered hey I can, it's all right like i'm worth i'm okay period i'm just good who i am i've got nothing to prove to anybody and i right. kind of like gave me the guts to just like i can do whatever i want to do i guess so wow that's 
I guess I've always like wanted to do this, but I've never had like the guts to admit it to myself. So I've always thought like, okay, I gotta have a normal job. I gotta, I gotta right, be a right. janitor. I gotta do whatever. Yeah, you gotta like, have your you know what, your normal it. nine to five or whatever is that stable job because yep. it's it's the the quote unquote, I guess just the 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 normal uh, of just sticking to whatever is. Uh, I guess an easier, I, like, I don't want to say it's an easier path, right? But it is a more um, obtainable path, I guess, mm -hmm. is a way to put it. Um, let me let me dive a little bit into that, if you don't mind. Sure. Kind of what was it that that pushed you to say, no, I, I am good enough to do this, right? You know, because I, I think that's that's definitely a, a point where a lot of people don't don't even get in their life is they they could go for the rest of their life always feeling that like oh i'm not good enough and then never proceed into a passion that they have right what was that definitive moment or that thing for you that really allowed you to to take this leap of faith well um i had a i got a blood clot in like 2019 hmm. um right before all the covid stuff hit like like a month before that all hit i got a blood clot and the doctors were like this blood clot could at any moment could move from, it was in my foot. It could move from your foot to your heart and you'd die. And that scared oh the shit out of me. It's like, oh, right. I could just die at any second. And then I got yeah. super duper sick. This was all before COVID. And like, I basically, and then I was on blood thinners. I had, I had to do these things with these shots that I was like sticking them in my belly to keep my blood thin, to keep the clot from moving or whatever. Right, and then at the right. same time, I found out I had diabetes. So just like one thing after the oh other. And I was like, oh, my yeah. God, like if I died today, I would regret not having done anything. Like I regret being the nine to five guy, you know? Right. And then I was right. like, just from there, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do whatever on kind of the assumption that I might die in a week or something. <laughs> like I was doing <laughs> that for a while. And then um, that kind of made me like change my life around where I started like working out. I started exercising. I lost a bunch of weight, um, eating healthy and that kind of stuff. And then I had quit my job and stuff. Cause like, if I die, like, what am I doing working at this job? I just basically, right. said, fuck it, let's go, let's do it. And it's like a year and a half later and this is what I'm doing now. So we'll see. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that is an insane story. Well, I'm glad that, uh, you know, Obviously, I'm not glad that you went through those hardships because that does sound I am. <laughs> quite awful. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a silver lining in everything, right? Like, I'm glad that you were able to take a positive swing to that in in the fact that, yeah, life is kind of fleeting. Like, you have to you have to take those those opportunities when you can because you don't know what you might get or what life is going to throw your way. Um, well, not only that, I think it's like we get into like tunnel vision. We start getting the tunnel vision and we need new random stimulation to bump us out of that bump us out of our habits and like that right. like that's what depression is you're just sitting there thinking of the same thing over and over and over and like that's just what like dissatisfaction in the nine to five is as well or you just you're, you don't really know what you're doing because you don't you think you have all the pieces to the puzzle but then something comes along you don't and then that like expands that's that's like i try to follow that feeling <laughs> yeah do you i have an uh, a question this honestly isn't related to to like uh too much of the game but just in general because i think this is an interesting story um 
Do you find that time goes slower for you now that you've found more of a um, a, a different perspective and approach uh, as far as like the amount of time that you were spending when you were in that rut versus now when you're more working on these things that you're passionate about? Absolutely. It's it's funny that you say that. Why, why do you say that? Uh, so the reason why is I've I remember reading a study and hearing about the the way to make time not seem as fast because a lot of people what happens is when you think of your childhood you think of like man the 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 year of you just going and and interacting and going through a month takes forever if you like the way that I remember thinking about it is like time would feel so much longer than it does now. Yeah. And a lot of people attribute that to the fact that you do get in these habitual states, right? You you have this nine to five, you have the everyday thing, you know, you do, you you have your, you go to work, you then you come home, you make dinner, you watch TV, and then you go to bed, right? And it becomes yeah. this blur, almost of the same thing. So it's hard to kind of look back, I guess, which is a weird, it's a weird thing, because it's it's more looking back, but seeming like time is going faster. I don't know. I've yeah. read this study and I, I do think that it, it's true because to kind of compete with that, I every so often will try to be like, you know what? I got to try something new or do something different throughout the week mm -hmm. because otherwise it becomes that, uh, you know, living for the weekend or time flying by kind of, you know, situation. Yeah. yeah. It's novelty is what it is. I think our brains... Like if you go in, a, if you get into a car accident, God forbid, that would suck. But if you would, that that moment of the car crash is seems like it lasts forever because it's like your brain is capturing more frames per second. It puts more energy into paying attention to what's going on. So that's what makes it feel like the time is going slower. So if you're just yeah. doing the same thing, you're just doing the same repetitive thing over and over. Well, you're, I think our brains stop giving a lot of energy to paying attention to that. It's just right. kind of expected. There was, yeah. a, there was an indie game way back in like 2006. It was like an RPG maker game. It was called the Kinrid Saga. And it had this scene. It was like a, it was an RPG maker game, but it was, mm -hmm. uh, it had this scene of this. It was like a witch or like a, um, some kind of magician or something that could read, read the main character's minds. And it was like, playing back his life and he would just get up go to work get up go to work get up to go to work that's stuck with me that's kind yeah. of related <laughs> wow that's interesting yeah this uh so this is obviously a, a big tangent that we took yeah <laughs> and i'll get us i'll get us a little bit back on track but um very interesting discussion that honestly uh is probably really worth looking into based on a lot of the discussions that uh you just had on you know trying to to make every moment count right um, so let's talk about kind of your process. So as far as the game goes, are you a, a completely solo dev on this project? Are you working with others? Uh, what is development like for you for Death Factor? I think I'm doing the, the majority of the work. <laughs> it certainly feels like I am. <laughs> um, but I think the process of creating a game is about taking the work that everybody is doing and pulling it together into a, like a cohesive item so there right. is like i didn't do all the music i didn't do the music that's all different bands that did the music in death factor and right. the artwork is 
like a combination of things that I've put together and then a combination of sources that I've been able to find. So if you like, if you go to the credits in Death Factor, it's actually a long list of credits. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the right way to do it is to, you know, there, if I'd like, I do stuff alone, but I would prefer to do it with other people because it's, there's something about, um, if you're working with other people, it magnifies the effort of what you're doing. So it's right. like, it's like a law of economics, I think, where it's like, if you do one person working, will achieve one unit and two people working on the same thing will achieve three units. So mm-hmm. it's, like, it's mm-hmm. a disproportional effort thing. So. Yeah. But yeah. No, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I definitely agree. It's funny. Uh, I just talked with another uh, set of developers who we kind of had a very similar conversation around having uh, as one of the pieces of advice of like being more willing to to be part of that team rather than that that passion of of being the solo dev on a project, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's also interesting because uh, my co-host and I, who we do our, our weekly news episode around indie games, we were talking about the idea of what a solo dev really means and how it's, it's honestly gotten to a point where it's used in a way that doesn't really make sense anymore because there's a lot of people who will be like oh i'm a solo dev i'm the only one working on this project and they're like oh but i had this person do the music i had this person do the art i had this person do blah blah blah." and it's like well is that really a solo project at that point right Mm -hmm. but yeah but it's kind of why i asked the question anyway just to uh, try and see kind of where people usually land um because usually we'll get an answer that is very similar to that of of someone being like well i'm the main person on it but i also have a lot of other people who help out which you know i always respect especially the fact you saying like hey look at the credits like there's a ton of people that helped me they're all being recognized here yeah i mean in a if i get to a position where i feel like i because i currently don't feel like with this project that i had all the time in the world to do it i feel Mm -hmm. like okay i I'm doing something risky here with my finances. Um, I want to make sure that I make the most with what I've got right now. Like, how can I make the best product with what I've got right now and not focus on the wrong things? I pay Mm -hmm. a lot of attention to that. But like, if I was doing a project where it's just like, if I feel like I have infinite resources and all the time in the world, I could do like, I, I would do something where it's just me. Just, I do all the music. I do all the graphics. I do everything. All of, right. Like that is feasible. It's just didn't seem like the right choice at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. So what, um, can you elaborate a little bit more on like what those, those choices were that you had to kind of balance out because of time and, uh, and you know, resources in general, like what was, mm-hmm. what's the most important thing from, from your side of the plate when you were working on death factor, where you were like, this is why X decision was made because you know, the why is the most important factor, right? Yeah. Death factor. <laughs> no, yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> death is the most important factor. <laughs> well, decisions are, are what it's all. That's all we ever do is make decisions. How do you make good decisions? That's all games are is decisions, you know, it's in like a safe context, mm-hmm. like a safe model to make decisions with easier consequences. And it's like, that's like the ultimate question. How do you make a good decision? <laughs> I try, as a rule of thumb, I try to make decisions as slowly as I can. Because mm. that goes back to like I, how I think our brains work. I think our highest quality decisions are made slowly. Mm. Um, where if I was to 
like if I clap like that, it brings our brains down to like a more immediate, like, oh crap, what's going on? Right, right. Um, and the you more don't primal necessarily, state. yeah, you don't necessarily make the best decision when you're in a primal state like that. Where if you're yeah. slow down, take a breath, think about things from different angles, that's how you make better decisions. But yeah. um, I think a lot of indie designers and uh, game developers are making pixel art platformers right now. Mm-hmm. And they're just making them ad hoc as they get ideas. Like they'll just like today I want to work on uh, a jump animation. Today I want to work on a item mechanic or things like that, where they just mm. go where they're feeling like they want to go. I basically did that <laughs> where it's like, okay, today I feel like doing uh, graphics. Today I feel like adding more functionality. Today I feel like adding in 30 lines of text that nobody will probably read, that kind of thing. Right. Like I kind of just went where I wanted to go. That's kind of the point of doing this is you don't have to answer it to a boss. <laughs> but at the same time, does that make something that people want to play? <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's, and that's a tough angle because even if, like, I don't think there's a a one right way to build a game. You know, I, I, I think that you probably have a lot of people who will argue that there are certain methods and certain things that like practices that make more sense versus Mm -hmm. others. But uh, I think that everyone kind of creates creatively in a different fashion. Like I'm the type of person that is very much in the mindset of, I work iteratively Um, like I'll get kind of a high level idea in my mind and then I'll be like I'm gonna like not really storyboard this because I I do like videos and graphics and animation stuff and so I'll I'll have like an idea in my head like I'll look at a script and I'll be like something could probably go here and blah blah blah, and I'll just I'll start building it right like because that's just the way my brain works like I Mm -hmm. can't I can't wireframe things too heavily because then I just, I either get bored or sidetracked and I'm just like, ah, I'm just going to do this. Right. But other would, other people will look at that and be like, no, you're, you're crazy. You have to, you know, to the T have everything set up so that you know what it's going to be and you can be more consistent. And like, I don't think there's a better way. I think it's just a personal preference. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think when it comes to like coding or well, most processes, there's a lot that could be automated that I didn't automate. So my right. approach, it's more, I do things like John Henry would do. <laughs> like I, the stupidest way ever that requires the most amount of just copy, paste, copy and paste. Right. If you were to look at my code, it would be insulting. It's a sin. <laughs> but I, I feel like I, I'm doing the right thing right now where I'm just like, okay, this is what I know how to do. I'm just gonna do what I know how to do. And then when I have more free time to do it correctly, then then maybe I can make like an algorithmically uh, develop like a. Have you heard of that first person shooter? It's ninety six kilobytes from like the late two thousands. I don't know. No, I haven't. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it was like all algorithmically generated, where it would just do like they made textures algorithmically, and then they made all the model. It all the whole thing is like a full fledged, like Quake two level of uh, a first person shooter. And it was 96 kilobytes. I'm not that good. (laughs) I'm not that good at all. I mean, I don't think a lot of people would be, so I I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too upset about that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good point, right? There's ways to, to refactor things. There's ways to, to go back and, and strip out old code and say like, oh, this is the better way to do it. Right. 
But I think if you probably looked at a lot of people's code, it would be very similar to yours in that people are really just either, you know, tape and popsicle sticks. Yeah, just making it stick so that from a front end perspective, they get a good enough experience that looks like it's it's got its shit going in the background and you're like all right good enough right like <laughs> i i would not be surprised if that's more than like 90 percent of of games out there um but speaking of the games out there let's actually dive into the game and talk about this because i do want to I, I mean, give want. uh give it a little <laughs> bit of time obviously this is a show about death factor 2 we got to give it some time but um, man, this is going to be an interesting one to describe. And I, I really, I always ask people to give me kind of their elevator pitch and I'm interested to hear yours for death factor two. Um, kind of just described maybe someone who had no idea what this is, what is it and what makes it special? Sure. It's a, it's a captivating computer game. Uh, it's more of a emotional experience. Um, it's, it's a it's about a friend with a very tragic story who wants to be your friend. Mainly, it's like a visual novel, but uh, in between the story is is a challenging sort of point and click casual game mm-hmm. where you can smoke cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can do a lot of things uh, in that. But yes, yes, that is very true. Um, I'm curious to hear what what do you think it is. So, you know, that's a great question. Uh, I will say that when I first uh, saw this, there wasn't a lot of information on Death Factor 2. Um, I was kind of looking around, trying to dig through. When you gave us a copy of the game, I started playing it. And it wasn't until I initially started playing and played maybe a couple of levels or so until I really got what it was. Because yeah. it is, at at a first glance very um very overwhelming which i think honestly and I, i'm going to talk about that in another question of mine but i think that was uh, in some ways intentional mm-hmm. um but i think that you kind of well obviously you hit the nail on the head you made the game but um it is that emotional story mixed in with this very um vibrant and very overwhelming uh experience of kind of what i would describe um as a roulette game but on <laughs> steroids i like it <laughs> um let's go with that yeah let's go with yeah, that it's like being at a casino kind of yeah so it, it very much is it's a, it's it's uh a ton of different options you have this ui that you're you're constantly looking at uh the same thing more or less but you have this ui that has a bunch of different objects of clickables of things that you can do things you can interact with and you're given these objectives on each level where you have to do xyz and you have to uh, kind of figure out how to keep your person alive and also make it as long as you can throughout uh your life uh through these these buttons so i think it's interesting um giving it the point and click um title i I think you know that it's obviously that is what it is um from just a a, a mechanical standpoint but usually Mm -hmm. it's it's not what i associate when i think of a point and click game yeah it's more of like this it's kind of like a strategy game it's kind of honestly when i made the first one i made the first one way back in 2012 just as for fun once like a, Mm -hmm. a weekend it's it's way less of a game than than the second one is but the main inspiration was uh 
Final Fantasy VII battles, where it's like, at one point it just clicked in my head, all you're really doing in a Final Fantasy VII battle is you're, you're looking at a bar, and then once the bar gets to a certain level, you heal yourself, mm-hmm. and then you just keep attacking. <laughs> it's like, right. that's kind of was like the main first loop of it. Huh, that's interesting. I, I, I'm glad you brought up the fact that there was obviously a, a Death Factor original one. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wanted to dive into really, you know, having that initial Death Factor and then bringing out number two, which I admittedly I, I haven't tried, so I, I can't speak to Death Factor one. But um, I did want to just ask, you know, I'll, I'll get a copy over to you so you can compare. Okay. And you'll be like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, but that being said, kind of what was your, your motivation for picking up a a death factor two to make the sequel as opposed to say like you know just working on anything else that could have been out there uh my brother actually talked me into it i there's actually a recording of it somewhere online because we were recording our we have like these like business discussions my brother uh-huh. and he was like why like i was talking to him kind of when i took this went out on a branch and started doing this and he was like why don't instead of just being all over the place and making some random thing, why don't you make a flagship product? And he was talking about like car manufacturers will make a flagship product where like the Ford has a Mustang and that mm-hmm. encapsulates what Ford is. Ford is Mustang. So right. I was like, Hey, like he's like, why don't you just continue? You already did the first one way back. Who cares if it was a long time ago, do a second one and that'll be your flagship. That'll be right. So Mr. Hexagon would be, associated with that name brand of death factor yep so it was basically and then from there it was like i mean i could talk about games that i think are really cool and kind of inspired the flavor of it but i didn't really what i something i did wrong i was thinking of doing this i want to make like a an ebook or something like things i did wrong during this (laughs) Uh, you know what i'm sure a lot of people (laughs) would be interested in that including myself um because then that's one of the things that i always wrap these shows up with is kind of that advice of you know what have you learned i've always thought about doing this um this doesn't work as well right now because uh this is obviously after the launch but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of developers who come on and they will tell me you know what their their plans are or you know we're getting close to launch this is what we did blah 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 blah. and i really want to get some of those people back and do like post-mortem shows and be like tell me what went right and what kind of sucked yeah yeah the my main thing is i didn't i i didn't do any marketing basically at all like i should have been marketing at the same time as i was developing it so that there would be people like aware of what it that it exists that that's definitely something you should be doing <laughs> but yeah but some a, a big part of marketing i think is is figuring out what people actually want and i didn't do that at all so i was like well i'm just gonna do what i want <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's like where a lot of the like decisions on what's the art gonna be what's the music gonna be like it all came like what's the game i want to play <laughs> right right yeah, Which maybe I, I that's think, a good way to do it. I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, I think that that honestly is because in, in a lot of ways, I, I feel like that kind of is what happens for many developers is you create a game that you pull inspiration from the ones you love, right? So it just becomes this amalgamation of, of something that you would want to play and you think others would. Yeah. But let's let's talk about the genre. 
um, because I think this is an interesting one. And I think you are right that from a marketing perspective, looking at it, I couldn't I couldn't find a lot on on Death Factor Two, right? Like this was very much a I had to really play it. I had to play it to to experience it and get a good vibe for what Death Factor is. Yeah, this had on it the uh, the genre of hardcore death simulator. Are you the one who coined this phrase? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what this means and why you chose that naming convention. Well, it ultimately is a simulator. You're you're simulating being alive. It's it's a model of life. Like you can choose to sleep, you can choose to eat, you can choose to go to work. Like that's just it's like a model, a very simple model of day-to-day life. So it's a simulator. Mm-hmm. But there's the the death factor part of it that's always going up. It's always increasing. So yep. that part of it is, well, it's actually you're simulating dying because you will die. You, there's no way you can just last forever. You will die in it. So, yep. and that kind of makes it more, um, uh, more of a f- uh, flavor of death has way more flavor than saying it's a life simulator. Cause you say life simulator, it's, because a lot different images than death. So, but then yeah. on uh, um, the hardcore part of it is that I didn't think it was that hard when I was making it. But then once I started doing some play testing with like my group of friends and everything, uh-huh. a lot of them were struggling at first. And then I realized, you know what? This is actually slightly a hardcore game. Like you have to do very, you get towards the later levels. I'm curious, did you beat the game? I did not get all the way through. I got through, uh, I think it was five or so levels. Okay. Um, but I have not finished it as of yet. It, it gets hard and it like, it is beatable. There's this, you know, on, uh, the Mario maker levels, you have to, if you create a level, you have to be able to beat the levels. Right. To be able to, so it is beatable. It, it's, it's beatable. And I'm, people have beaten it multiple times, but it requires, as you get into the deeper levels, you really have to be good at it. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, I mean, I, I love the idea behind it. I just thought it was such a, a unique title, obviously, because I had not seen it before. And seeing that title before playing it and before seeing, you know, like a gameplay trailer or whatever it is and not knowing anything kind of about it, going into it blind was very much a like I got it afterwards. But I just looking at that title, it's very... um what's the word for it it was very daunting at first of just being like what what could this possibly be like i don't know if i'm ready for a hardcore death simulator like i i ended up googling it like i'm not gonna lie and i was i i said what is a hardcore death simulator and i it ended up giving me your game and then a, a strange museum in i believe it was japan where someone oh, had created this museum of simulating being cremated oh and what and then reborn and i was like fuck what am i getting myself into dude what is that i want to i definitely want to see that <laughs> it was it was very interesting so i was like i had no idea what to expect but um <laughs> yeah i kind of wanted it to be a surprise like i purposely haven't shown too much like gameplay because i don't want to ruin i want it to be surprising right right but yeah then that goes to marketing it's like you don't know what is it i kind of want to know what it is before i know what i'm opening up yeah, it's it's a tough way because I, I think it definitely it is a experience it you have to experience it to get it kind of a game. Um, 
That being said, let's talk about the UI because I, I mentioned it a little bit and I said that yeah. I wanted to come back to this. Yeah. The UI is pretty overwhelming, right? There's so many options. You you said it yourself. You know, you could eat, you could sleep, you could uh, buy things, you could do all this types of. There's like these millions of boxes you got to put in these corners. Um, I'm assuming this was done intentionally of having all of these different choices. And I, the more I talk to you about kind of your experience and what brought you to to push for for creating games, it almost seems like very much a, a love letter to your experience. Um, can you tell me a little bit about kind of why you set up the UI the way you did? Sure. So, uh, well, first of all, I just like mean games. Like games that are just <laughs> okay. mean. Like, um, there's this game on PS2, it's called Baroque. Um, it actually <laughs> was on PlayStation, and then it was on Dreamcast, and then on Sega Saturn. There's a lot of versions of it, but right. it... It's just a mean game. It doesn't let you play the tutorial at first. You have to die once before you can play the tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> That's strange. Okay. That's a really cool game. I recommend that. That informed a lot of Death Factor. And then uh, have you ever played La Mulana? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another just extremely mean, hardcore game that's like, nope, you, you're going to die a lot and we're not going to give you any hints on how to do this. You got to figure it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just those ty- um there's another one it's called unreal world it's like a roguelike from finland hmm, it's a hard uh, like really realistic survival game that uh, won't hold your hand i like those kind of games that are just mean so okay. that's part of it but then the other part of it is um it's more of a cerebral kind of how i think our brains work is you can only you, you can't really multitask. Like you, you can only pay attention to one thing at a time. Right. So it becomes fun trying to focus on two things at once. And you kind of, there's, there's this psychologist, I, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but she wrote a book called Flow. And you get into a flow state. That's what mm-hmm. I was trying to, even with the first one, that's what I wanted to do is make a game where you get into the flow state. And how mm-hmm. you do that is you get focused on this task that you're doing and then it makes you like forget about everything else. So there's like certain loops that you're doing in Death Factor. Like a really basic loop is like you'll be um, setting it, set it to hard task. So now you're automatically getting hard task going. Well, then you can, in the same time, you can be uh, working on studying and get extra points for studying or you could right. be petting your pet. It, like and then like where you choose to focus your attention is kind of the main uh part of why i guess it's fun it's a balancing act yeah very much so that was that was the first thing that i noticed was there were just so many things to do my favorite was petting the dog uh playing <laughs> with the pet um but it was a very much a balancing act so i think that makes a lot of sense um now i wanted to talk about the fact that at the top of the episode i had said it and i'm pretty sure people have picked up on it this is a very different type of game right and i noticed you mentioned on twitter recently taking joy in the fact that hey you're doing something a bit different um but being different isn't always easier said than done um where did you uh you've you've mentioned a little bit but like where did you get the inspiration for this style of gameplay of that like that flow uh from you know from the psychology perspective but really what what brought it together where you said like okay well this is going to be the mechanic of of doing xyz right 
It's uh, I mean, I, I want to make an alternative to everything that's out there. And I want to try to make things that propel us to elevate us and, and get us into that, that magical area of transcendence where it's, it's a, it's a mix of realism and not so realism. So it's there. It, the, the very first death factor is, is literally, it's just a, it's a four quadrant grid. And on one, one part of that grid is, is control things you can control. And then on the opposite grid is things that you can't control. It's just random. It's chance. And then the other grid is things that are really, it's like a really realistic thing. And then on the other, the opposite grid is uh, surreal, not realistic at all. So it's, it's a blend. It's like a balancing blend. It's like a Taoist uh, blend of, of realism and, and not so realism. That's, Hmm. I don't know. That's, does that explain it? <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting way to think about it. I, like I said, it is very different. Um, well, let's, let's uh, so to kind of move from that, though, I do have a question about kind of the purpose or inspiration, motivation, maybe. Um, I was doing a little research on you before uh, the episode, obviously, just to kind of know who you are. But mm-hmm. I came across a quote that I really liked, which was you talking about your purpose, and it was something about your purpose is to show everybody how to use their imagination, uh, excuse me, imagination to steer them into a better way of life. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can kind of make some assumptions based on what we talked about, but was Death Factor 2 attempting to live by the sentiment? And if that's the case, how so? Yes. There. So I think uh, we all tell ourselves a story. Like the matter is just like a built-in part of our brains as we try to tell a story of our life. And the thing is, is that story is malleable. It's it's up for discussion. But for a lot of people, and I mean, this goes back to like we're at the very beginning, we're talking about living a nine to five. That's just a story you're telling yourself is you have to work this nine to five to keep a roof over your head. But right. um, we, it's a lack of imagination is what it comes down to. Because you can, that story, the it, this, there's just points on a graph basically for your life. And the story you make is those connections between those dots on the graph. And that Hmm. story is basically up to your imagination. So if you, if you get a new piece of uh, random stimulation that forces you to, it, it, it smacks you out of your, your tunnel vision and your like habit, and it'll force you to come up with a new story. So with, with death factor two, it, there's the, the, the narrative is going on in the background um, and you're kind of leaving uh, it's the the gameplay itself gives like place to a, a place to breathe and consider the story that's going on in the background as you're like now you're focusing on it's like you're using two different parts of your brain you're using the storytelling part of your brain during the cutscenes, and then when you're in the gameplay it's a uh, you're using like, oh crap! I gotta make sure my hunger doesn't go all the way down. Oh crap! I gotta make sure I pet my dog. Like you're using a completely different part of your brain, but that story's still going on. And then yeah. you kind of like fill in the blanks with your imagination. And then I think the game has this effect where after you're done playing it, and I think a lot of really good games do that. Like Minecraft, you play Minecraft. If you do like a binge session of Minecraft, for me, anyways. Uh, 
I'll start thinking like I'm in Minecraft for the rest of the day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You get in that, that loop of kind of like yeah. still being stuck on whatever topic you were, you were really immersed into. Yeah. And I think death factor does that as well, where it's like after you play for a while and then you take a step back and then you go for a walk outside, you're thinking about it. And now you're thinking you have a different story kind of going on with your usual life where it's like, you kind of see through that different model. I don't know. Right. Does that answer the question? I feel like I went off on a tangent. No, I loved it. I <laughs> it's this show is all about tangents. Don't you worry. Um, but I think I think that does uh, clear up my question of really like living to that that sentiment of of better way of life and and you know like showing more or less a purpose through that different uh, different levels of immersion. It's like um, at the end of the day, uh, dying is at the bottom of our to-do list. Nobody wants to think about it. Right. <laughs> so it kind of like puts it right in front of you. Like, hey, you're going to die. Like here, the stuff you're doing, it, it, it's kind of not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah well, at the end of the day, not, it might be all for nothing. Hopefully that's not what people walk away with. with the, <laughs> I, I really thought hard about that because I don't want to have that message. It's actually, right. I don't want to make it too dark, but. Uh, a friend of mine actually took his life uh, like right when this game was like like right when I started marketing it and like releasing oh. it and he didn't even get a chance to play it it sucks but it's like that like that's that's pretty much why I created the game is for people to not feel like it's worth like worthless to hopefully this game has the opposite effect than making people think mm -hmm. there's no use to go on right to put yeah to put more of a positive spin on it of you know if if you have the time here value it and cherish it and and do something that that makes you happy that that you're passionate about mm -hmm. exactly. i think that makes sense so this question is a bit more about me just kind of being curious about how conversations play out when it comes to indie devs bringing on outside talent so you have a hollywood actor that is voicing a character in this game yeah how did you bring her on was it more of you just reaching out and showing pieces of the game was it simply just asking for a voice actor and saying hey I, i'll give you xyz dollars you know like how does how does that process go in general jenny ryan did really well um she i think with with actresses or acting in general is you either got it or you don't uh -huh. and she has it she like she's like born with it she has the she has the thing <laughs> and i've looked at a lot of i look i scrolled through probably hundreds of like i went on fiverr i went like i've went out and looked at different uh people's uh like little clips that they have of of their like portfolio for voice acting i looked through a lot a lot of people because i had a very specific idea of who i want zoe to be right and um she was perfect and the thing is, is she she was like who I thought Zoe was um, when she's not acting, like just her being herself. She is Zoe. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's what awesome. I told her. I was like, don't even don't even act like just do just, say these lines like you would say them. And it was perfect. She didn't. There was only one line she did. All, there was probably uh, there's like 300 or 400 lines that she has to that she did. And mm. she didn't redo any of them. They're all first takes except for one line <laughs> she <laughs> said um 
there's one one of the lines is my friend got hit by a semi truck and she said semi truck and i was like no 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 it's gotta be semi truck uh. <laughs> but otherwise no otherwise she did every single line better than i could have imagined it's just surreal because it's like the first time i've ever had somebody like interpret things that i've written like that right yeah, so i was yeah, really yeah. really like i was really it affected me emotionally <laughs> like to hear someone else say it, it's like oh it's surreal this is i want it's something i want to do again hopefully i can work with her again because she did perfect yeah yeah well i hope so because she did a great job um but let's talk about kind of the future for you and um i guess death factor right your project is now available you can get death factor one you can get death factor two what can we expect next though are we getting a third uh for this series are we getting something completely different right what do you have your eyes on now that's that's currently where i'm at (laughs) yeah Uh, i have i have a box of ideas that i that i have for the future um i have ideas for a third death factor but i don't think that's what i'm going to be working on next um Mm -hmm. i really like um i should have just made a game about cars on cars okay that's something that that i'm going to be doing is a game about working on cars and fixing cars and racing cars that'll be a lot easier to market than like some existential philosophy probably probably a little (laughs) bit um so yeah just like working on cars welding on cars playing with dangerous chemicals that kind of stuff um and then i also have um some ideas of just uh like i had an idea of a for a chess game that is like a simplified chess game where it's just more of a i don't know i'm just gonna do whatever <laughs> okay i like it yeah but i'll be doing it with any luck i'm just gonna be doing this forever so <laughs> i'm not well, going anywhere i yeah i wish you the best of luck on that uh let's let's wrap this up then because i have one final question that i love to ask all of our guests and that is just general advice for people who are in the indie space maybe new uh maybe thinking or considering to to create their games to to fill that passion that they have just like you did you mentioned earlier in this episode that you had a list of things that you're like should have done this differently uh maybe you know something from that page what's one piece of advice that you'd give someone uh from the things that you've worked on so far um number one thing that i'm like uh beating myself up about is you should be marketing right away even like when you have the kernel of an idea you should be marketing the whole time and you should be marketing the whole process as well because um i think marketing is going to be you i think you have to spend as much time marketing as you spend actually building the thing and it sucks i hate begging for attention i hate being that guy i'm shy yeah. I, like, I don't like being the center of attention or asking for attention and that's what it is you're <laughs> you're asking for attention and you're it's a completely different thing than i think most people who love computers are uh comfortable doing so right. you should be marketing from day one and marketing doesn't mean you have to be like a goofball or whatever just be yourself but you just have to keep telling people what you're doing you just gotta tell people what you're doing because otherwise you're just in the void off on a back road somewhere and nobody knows you're there. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Uh, a lot of people I see on Twitter who are, you know, uh, working as indie devs are constantly every every day, every week, 
showing like a picture, whether it's something of the actual game or maybe concept art or maybe just like, hey, what what do you guys think that looks better, X or Z or whatever it might be, right? You just need to to talk and build that community because it's it's tough. It's there's so many games out there, there's so many people, there's so many things that distract us. It's it's like what are the chances that it's going to align that they see your uh game your your notification your image right so mm-hmm. that constant uptick of pushing something out there all the time creates that that predictability or you know that that visibility right mm-hmm. i think oh go ahead no i'm just agreeing with you <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> Perfect. Well, for those listening, Death Factor 2 is currently available. So if any of this sounded interesting to you, be sure to head over to their Gumroad page. Um, And if you don't know where that is, no worries. Obviously, IndiePod always tweets out these uh, episodes. And make sure you're following us on Twitter because we will let you know how to find this game. If not, you can always follow Mr. Hexagon on Twitter. It's just at Mr. Hexagon. Super easy. Um, Once again, thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks, Josh. I love this. Let's do it again. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, anytime. You're always welcome. Cool.